Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, it's WrestleMania Saturday. We're a day late, but not a dollar short. It is the most uh, unique WrestleMania weekend in history. It's a two parter. Things get kicked off tonight. But today we're going to get in our way back machine 15 years and talk about WrestleMania 21. How you feeling, Bruce? Are you excited? Are you exhausted? Is this the worst week of your life? This is probably the most exciting week of my life. Every single day is another day in history and another day to just chalk up and go, holy fuck, what a book this is going to make someday where people will say, you know what? I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. But, you know, it's been crazy, and it's made me think. It's just made me think about a lot of shit. Um, This is not, look, I'm going to get on my soapbox, but this isn't a soapbox. This is just a, this is going to be me venting for for a second, if you would indulge me. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. And, and I just, you reach a point sometimes where you, it's all you can stands and you can't stands no more. And I guess I'm, I'm pretty much at that point. I, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And as you look at things, you look at things through your lens. You look at things as how everything around you is affecting you. And when we do these podcasts and we do these shows, I give you my input from how things affected me. And that's the entire point of the podcast is, is to do what we do based on how it affected me. And, and that's how I remember shit. That's my recall. And when you go through social media, which, by the way, I fucking hate, <laughs> and, and you read some of this shit, and, and for whatever reason, I have I have friends and I have people that, that think that I need to see certain things and I need to see what certain people write and what people say and if someone says something and, and, and all this shit. And all I have to say is to the majority – and I know this because, you know, we look at numbers and we see of, of the majority of our audience. I think that they enjoy the show. I hope you do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening. If you don't want to enjoy the show, don't listen. It's pretty easy. But I think that the majority, you know, get it. But then there are those that just want to be so negative. And the negativity is kind of just take, taking me over the edge because there are times, you know how – those old Clint Eastwood movies or the old movies where you see the guy that just looks, it's had the really bad day and the guy comes up to him while falling down is a good example yeah. with yeah. Michael Douglas where you don't know exactly what you're fucking with sometimes. And you don't know what other people are going through. And you don't know that if that in the, in the weeks past that they might've had a loved one in the hospital with, you know, 
extremely serious situations that they're dealing with every single fucking day while they still work 20 hours a day and then continue to do what they do for the love of the game, for lack of a better term, for just the love, the loved of a loved one, the love of a loved one, (laughs) easy for me to say, you know, for, for your family and then for everything that they do to entertain whatever the hell you want to call it, whatever you want to do to, to an audience. And that's what we've done. That's what I've done. And, um, sometimes you don't know, sometimes you don't know what the person on the other side is going through and is open and as public as I am. And you know, this, I'm a very, very private person. I have, I have my public life, if you will, but I have, I I try to keep my private life very private. Your family life. My family life. Yes. And I appreciate the understanding of some and to those that don't understand, I want to say, go fuck yourself. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say, move on, move on. Cause in these times it really doesn't matter. And, and road dog used to say would be funny as shit because he would talk about the guys and they would come in. Oh, my Twitter's blowing up, man. My Twitter's blowing up. And you look at their Twitter and it's like, they've got 10 comments or something. So I always, I use that a lot now, you know, like, oh my God, my Twitter's blown up. Two people commented on this. Um, and that's the reality of it. So it, 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 I put it all in perspective, but you and I last week, I think it was last Saturday, actually, mm-hmm. when we, we tried to do this show last Saturday. Yes, we did a week ago. Yeah. We tried to do it on Sunday. We, <laughs> we tried, tried every this day this week for seven days. Yeah. Yes. And reality hit, you know, reality hit in so many ways to where I just, um, I had to, I had to laugh coming home and finally going to bed at six o'clock in the morning, one of these days this week and saying, shit, I gotta be back at the office at nine. Yeah, I mean, Why am I even going to bed? I I don't send you the uh, the screenshots from social. I assume somebody does, but I assume you're frustrated this morning because uh, you saw some negative pushback on Facebook and the like because our show was delayed and people didn't know the the personal family stuff this week or that you know while the rest of the world is quarantined, most most of WWE is, but somehow. Uh, you're still managing to be at the office. So now a show that would probably normally be put together by a small army of people is put together by a handful of people. And unfortunately you're in that. So this whole two and three hours of sleep a night deal this week, coupled with the, uh, maybe negative criticisms of, I can't believe they're late on WrestleMania week (laughs) is just uh, boiling over for you. You know what? It was accumulation. It was an accumulation of of shit that just um, driving home last night on which 
yesterday was my 24th wedding anniversary there. I'll, I'll, I'll share a private, and you missed private it. moment, and you missed it. but where, where was I yesterday? Conrad, uh, you were at the office until, uh, well past 10 o'clock. I know for sure, because we were still talking. So yeah, you missed your 24 year wedding anniversary. Your wife's not always been the, uh, the healthiest person. She's had some challenges and another family member. And there's all this hysteria about uh, coronavirus and COVID-19 and everybody's stuck at home and you're still in the office every day, all day, trying to make sure that fans still have a fun distraction this weekend. Uh, yeah. And come home. And, and even, even you and I, it was, it was funny because I, I said to you last night, Hey man, by nine o'clock tomorrow morning, dude, I, I can't do any more. And I've been on the phone all morning <laughs> doing more, which is cool. That's I, I, I get it. It's just, um, it, it's just sometimes the, the frustration and the negativity gets to me a little bit. And I don't believe that that is the majority of people. And this is what I love. I love the wrestling business. I love this. And, Without this, I don't think that I would be back involved in the wrestling business. Yeah. And I guess that's worth mentioning, you know, the love of a loved one that you sort of twisted around a little bit ago, something in there you were alluding to is one of the reasons you used to do this podcast is because of me. And I appreciate that. And you, you feel like you have a commitment to me and I really appreciate that because I'm sure a lot of people online say, oh, now that he's got the big WWE deal, he doesn't need the podcast money. And technically that's true, but. Uh, you enjoy it. And this is one of the only, I mean, there for a long time, me and you were together about damn near 24 seven. And this is basically the only time either one of us have free time to get together anymore. And it's fun to do the show, man. But yeah. Awesome. And, and it's fun to, I feel horrible when I send you a text it, it, when I tell you, Hey man, no, I think I'll be done at four and I'm sending you a text at seven. Say, yeah, it looks like it's <laughs> not going to happen at least tonight. Four, hey, hey, by the way, Conrad, four o'clock ain't happened. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, it is fun to, it, it's fun to go back and forth with you and, and schedule our time and, and then get it all blown up. Well, listen, I hope that, uh, you guys get nothing but good news and that everybody is, is safe and happy and healthy and, uh, no big deal, but I, I am looking forward to WrestleMania and, and I know this is weird, but I feel like, and man, I don't mean for this to sound negative, but maybe you'll appreciate what I'm saying. I think the expectations for this WrestleMania are so low because it's so unique. People were so excited about being in Tampa and having the live experience. And I mean, what a cool stadium that was with a fucking pirate ship and WrestleCon and all the surrounding shows. It's such a, a tent pole weekend, not just for WWE, but for wrestling fans worldwide. And now that it's been effectively canceled, um, people I think have really diminished expectations for WrestleMania because there won't be a crowd and the vibe will be different. But I think well, that I, I'm proud of it. But that's all I was going to say is I think the low expectations mean that this is going to be a fucking fantastic show. I mean, sometimes a friend of mine will see a movie and then, I, then I'll hear it from someone else and someone else and someone else. And eventually I've heard this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And I go into that movie with the expectation that this is going to be the greatest movie ever. And then when it's over, I'm like, nah, it was pretty good. It was okay. But if I go into something with really low expectations and I'm like, ah, I'm just trying to kill some time when I'm done. I'm like, holy shit, what a fucking movie. And I think that's probably what this WrestleMania is going to be. I mean, you and I haven't talked about 
any sort of spoilers or anything like that, but I'm just saying, I think the expectations are so low and things are sort of so out of sorts in the real world that we're poised for a pretty fucking fun couple of nights here. I'm excited. I'm as am I, and I'm proud of it and, uh, it'll have its naysayers, but I think that a lot of people are going to go, holy fuck. And we did what we needed to do by God. So it's, it's all good. And, and I don't remember WrestleMania 21 for shit, but I can, uh, <laughs> I'll jog your memory today. So th- this will be a memory joggy journey down memory lane by God. And we'll just talk about some other shit. Cause that's just the kind of fucking mood I'm in today. Am I moody today? No, you're, we're going to have fun with this. Cause this is a great show. WrestleMania 21. I'm really looking forward to it before we get into it though. I do. <laughs> Did you just blow your load there? No, it was the train coming by. Oh, okay. Was Ron Simmons on that train? Hey, did you hear that? Uh, I did a little prank on April fool's day. What'd you do on, uh, what happened when on Tony's channel on, on Wednesday morning, uh, I had Cassio kid host a show announcing that he was the new permanent co-host. And then we played a best of ads and it was one commercial after another for 90 minutes. I like it. I hope they use promo code Russell. <laughs> Well, we played the, uh, the train spot that you and I loved in there so much. And, the uh, the penis, uh, extender and so many funny old spots, but of course the real show dropped six hours later. So at noon, they got WrestleMania six and it, you could also get WrestleMania eight right now, uh, from something to wrestle. Bruce and I did record that one last week. It's up now at adfreeshows.com. And you would have gotten this show a few minutes early, uh, not a lot earlier, but a few minutes earlier. Uh, over at adfreeshows.com. We're going to do, uh, maybe we'll have a little more free time coming up. I mean, I don't know uh, who knows what's going on with this virus, but, uh, we're looking forward to, uh, cranking out some more content for you. But what I'm looking forward to is uh, telling everybody the great news. The bad news is most of us have more time at home and we can spend less time out and about the good news is, uh, well, you can level up that time at home with bluechew.com. Remember the days when you're always ready to go. Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up bluechew.com. That's blue. Like the color blue bluechew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. You can benefit from more confidence where it counts. Well, Blue Chew is the fastest, easiest, cheapest way to enhance your performance. Let me explain. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, and best of all, there's no more awkwardness. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when you use our promo code wrestle, just pay $5 shipping again. That's B L U E C H E W.com. The promo code is wrestle and you get to try it for free to recap. Blue chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast and Bruce's erections, which you probably haven't had much time for lately, uh, but I'm hoping that you get to make some time for your penis real, real soon. Well, if your penis is as important to you as it is to me, then bluechew.com is the way to go, by God. 
Well, listen, you said you hadn't uh, seen this show recently. Obviously, you've been very, very busy. I got to tell you, I don't remember watching this. Uh, I mean, I watched it in 05, but I don't think I've sat down and watched it again until this week. And I've, I've come to uh, a new opinion. I, I've had an, uh, an epiphany. I've had a moment of clarity, Bruce. Epiphany. Kind of had epiphany. This is my second favorite WrestleMania ever. Wow. WrestleMania six is still what I grew up on. Hulk Hogan, ultimate warrior. Those were my guys. I just remember that so much as a kid. It's the one that stands out the most to me, but good Lord, what a tremendous show this was. And if you're looking for something to do this weekend, go back and watch WrestleMania 21. And right at the top of the show, I should mention that, um, the WWE network just put out a tremendous untold. It's a 30 minute little snippet of Kurt angle and Shawn Michaels match here. Uh, Johnny Gargano participates as well. What a phenomenal piece on the WWE network. When you finish this episode of something to wrestle, if you don't have time to watch the full WrestleMania 21, go right to that untold. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, and if you've got time, man, do both, but let's talk about it. April 3rd, 2005. So yesterday when we hoped to drop this show, it would have been the exact 15 year anniversary of this show from the famed Staples center right there in Los Angeles. It draws 20,193 fans from 14 countries and 48 states. It grosses more than 2.1 million at the turnstile, making it the highest grossing WWE event ever at Staples Center. Why, why the decision to hold this show at Staples Center? I ask because 17, 18, and 19 are all huge venues, stadium styles, domes, and whatnot. 20, of course, is more of an anniversary show, so it's back at MSG. Why, why not go back to a huge venue for 21? It certainly feels like you had the appetite for the product. Well, versus a huge, yeah, a huge venue, it was a huge market sure. and, and that being LA and that being able to, to go into Los Angeles and the Hollywood community, it, it was perfect for us. So it was, no, it wasn't the giant stadium, even though, Hey, we'll do that this next year. Um, it was, it was the huge market and it was being able to do everything around Hollywood and around LA, which had been from WrestleMania seven, WrestleMania two, you know, LA was a staple. It's one of the major markets in the United States of America. Tons of celebrities here. You know, the, the theme is WrestleMania is going Hollywood. We've got David Arquette here. We've got Motorhead. We've got Adam Sandler. We've got Rob Schneider. We've got Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top. We've got the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> yeah, big part of our show. We've got Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. We've got uh, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. We've got Ice Cube. we got Carmen Electra. Uh, we got Sylvester Stallone. Um, so many big celebrities, including great friends of the show, Rick Rubin, Will Sasso, Macaulay Culkin. It, you know, Vince has always sort of looked for celebrity involvement at WrestleMania, I guess, instead of hoping you build it and they will come shit, let's just take WrestleMania to them. This is the most star studded WrestleMania ever. Is it not? Yeah. I mean, you know, every WrestleMania is star studded by God. And the celebrities all come out. It's the hottest ticket anywhere that there is and, and people wanting to be a part of it. But you look at when you go to where they live, shit, it's a hop, skip and a jump and easy to make. And out, out of the whole group, probably there's really only a couple that 
celebrities to me. And, and that's, of course, Billy Gibbons, my good, close, dear, personal friend, Billy Gibbons, and Rick Rubin, who I've had the pleasure of, of meeting and is one of the nicest guys and just absolutely pure genius when it comes to the music world. So, you know, the rest are who they are. But when you you have an opportunity to talk to a Rick Rubin, man, that's that's just gold. By the way, I guess we should mention Rick Rubin is such a wrestling fan. Not only did he fund Smoky Mountain back in the day, but he listens to something to wrestle. That that's a big time wrestling fan right there. When Even more reason to love him. Let's uh, let's talk about how we got here. Just a, a quick sort of backstory to this show. We've covered Royal Rumble 05 before that you may remember. That's when John Cena and uh, Batista both land at the same time. They have to call an audible. Vince runs down to the ring, tears both quads. Ultimately, Batista wins the match and uh, decides he's not going to pursue the title on SmackDown. He's going to pursue the title on Raw, effectively quitting Evolution and uh, cementing his turn against Triple H. So now uh, on the other show, SmackDown, we had the No Way No Way Out pay-per-view where Bradshaw would retain the WWE title. And that sets up his match with John Cena at WrestleMania. Uh, let's talk about sort of the financial state of the company. Wade Keller would report on the way into this show. There's no reason for panic or rejoicing based on the latest figures to come in for WWE representing the third quarter of the fiscal year. Oh, five. Basically the gist is, uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same. It's not necessarily growing, but we're not necessarily losing. It feels like the company it's sort of just treading water financially at this point, you know, it feels like creatively maybe Vince is looking for his next stone cold or his next rock as both of those guys have sort of wrapped up their in-ring career here. And we're in a bit of transition. I think if you could sort of chart the course of, of the more recent WrestleMania of course, 18 happens right after or 17 happens right after WCW goes under, we turn Austin Heel, 18, we're trying something new. We're bringing back the NWO. Of course, Hulk and Rock just absolutely tear it up. Uh, and then we try the Triple H thing for a little bit. We get up to 19, and we're trying to push this new era of big stars as we sort of wave goodbye to Austin and Rock. Now we're pushing Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. At 20, well, we're trying something new again with, with Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. And now here at 21, it feels like we're trying something Yet again, with Dave Batista and John Cena, it feels a little bit every year like we're still looking for our next big thing. And, you know, you were in the inner circle. Do you feel like Vince had more confidence in, in Batista and John Cena being that duo compared to, say, Chris Benoit or Eddie Guerrero? I think so. And I, I think that. Eddie had reached the point of his personality being big enough that Eddie was look, Eddie made JBL in so many ways. Uh, that's the character that JBL was built on. And Eddie did such a great job there that Eddie reached the point of don't, don't saddle him with the championship because his character work is so far superior to, to everything else that, you can have, if, if you want to make somebody, be it Ray Mysterio, be it JBL, be it whoever, uh, Eddie's the guy. 
And so you really didn't. I, th I think that Eddie was already there is one of those really strong talents, a go-to guy. Uh, but Vince was looking for more. He was looking for something else. And you had the two guys, the monsters from OVW, you know, coming in and uh, having their, their run for a while. And let's see what they can do. And the two that really emerged to the top were Dave Batista and John Cena. You know, this is a weird question, but, you know, we know that both of these guys are going to have tremendous careers, but there's not really a debate that John Cena is going to become the guy, you know, and Bruce Vince probably never spoke like this, but if, if you had to bet, who do you think Vince would have thought would have been the guy? I, 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 I frame the question that way to say, I think he probably assumed it was going to be Batista just based on the size and look, but it wound up being Cena. Actually, it was Cena. Okay. And it was, it was that it intangible. However, looked at Dave and said, Dave, Dave can be, be the guy on raw, if you will. And Dave can also get there. He looked at John, you know, immediately and went, he had, John had that it factor that it took a while to find it and bring it out, but it was always there that you knew it's like having a, you know, 800 pound Marlin on the hook. And you know, it's going to take you a while to get that fucker on the boat. But when you do, you've got a record. And that was kind of with Cena. It, it was in there and it was just working to get it out. And once you got it out, it was all bets were off. That's a great analogy. Let's talk about Vince. You know, we briefly touched on uh, him jumping into the ring at WrestleMania or Royal Rumble rather and tearing both quads. Well, as you can imagine, he has to have surgery to repair those and Wade Keller would write answering the question of whether Vince McMahon would let people see him in a wheelchair. He showed up last Friday at MSG, his favorite arena for a raw house show. He was in a wheelchair backstage with his legs, both wrapped and elevated. Stephanie Shane and Linda McMahon were also backstage. He was greeted by a number of wrestlers. He did not show himself publicly in front of the crowd. Uh, but the show does well. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's up from prior MSG house shows. And, uh, the report would also continue office staffers have been affected by Vince's absence from the office on a regular basis. As some have had to make trips between the office or production studio in his home to let him see tapes of pre-produced videos for his approval or critiquing the estimates for the time it will take him to get back on his feet and traveling to all events is about six months due to the serious nature of the double quad tears. Now we know Vince McMahon ain't going to sit like this for six months, but still, um, Vince McMahon in a wheelchair, not a sight A lot of people ever thought they would see and, uh, maybe perhaps causing some inconveniences running back and forth. What do you remember about Vince's time post-surgery? Well, he worked his ass off to get to the point of being able to WrestleMania is three days, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. <sighs> okay. I'll tell you what. I, that, see, that was just a, that was just a quick text. That one I can answer boom right right there and we're good to go. Um, you know, Vince 
is is I think that the way a good way to describe it would be if you have one thing that you really love love to do, the one thing that no matter what happens, you're gonna do. Whether it's your favorite meal, it's your your favorite thing to to do, just whatever it is, you gotta go play Madden on Tuesday. Vince McMahon's favorite thing to do was work out. Right. And his favorite workout is legs. So looking at that was his goal. He wanted to get back to be where he could work out all the time. And he was working out like a madman. Um, but he, he couldn't do legs the way that he loved to do legs. So he was, he was constantly just rehabilitating, doing everything that he could to be back on his feet and, and get rolling. So that was a priority for him and it was a little inconvenient for some folks, but for others that are used to, you know, you're working around the chairman's schedule and what he needs and that's what you do. So you, you get there and, and go for it. Was he even more cantankerous? Uh, when he's wheelchair bound, the normal. Mm, not really. Frustrate, frustrated with himself, yes, but not. No, not really. Cantankerous. That's a southern word. It's a hell right of there. a wine, by the way. Yeah, it is. Um, let's keep it going. Let's talk about Chris Masters. Wade would write. Chris Masters has been told by WWE agents to be aggressive in the ring, which may have been why he broke Stevie Richards nose in his first televised match on February 21st, WWE showed backstage footage of Richards crooked, broken nose on the February 28th raw to hype how stiff masters sledgehammer to the chest is masters. Wasn't previously known as a reckless or overly stiff wrestler. Let's talk about that for a minute. I'm sure we could probably do a whole episode on Chris masters someday and you know, sort of the ups and downs, but. Let's briefly talk about, you know, the aggression because we've, we've heard Kane say, uh, recently on the WWE network in an interview with uh, stone cold, Steve Austin, that undertaker came to him very early in his career and said, Hey, you can make it and you can have a run here and you can do well, but you got to turn this intensity up. When you go to a young performer, like a young Lynn Jacobs or a young Chris masters, and you tell them, Hey, you got to turn the volume up. I mean, things happen, right? Well, yeah. And, and there's a difference between turning the volume up and being safe and turning the volume up and being sloppy and unsafe. Right. And sometimes guys mistake the two. Uh, they think that by being snug that you have to be stiff, um, or you have to hurt people. You don't have to hurt people. It's you can apologize in advance and you just got to lay it in and you've got to snug it up. If, if you're going to make it, let's keep going here and talk about James bell. Uh, this is a name that we've touched on a little bit before, but this is quite the story. Wade would write James bell, a WWE senior VP from the company between 98 and 2000 pleaded guilty to mail fraud for taking in a kickback scheme where he received money under the table for giving certain companies licensing deals with WWE, including THQ and Jack specific WWE is now challenging those deals because they contend they were signed under illegal terms. 
he's going to face a, uh, a maximum prison term of five years and $3.9 million in fines. Plus he's been ordered to return 1.9 million to WWE. What a fucking story, man. Yeah. And that was, it's a shame because Jim opened up a lot of doors for WWE in the licensing world. And we went, you know, that was at a point where, we were licensing everything under the sun, uh, lighters, condoms, you name it. We licensed it, and it was it, it, shit. We were just everywhere, and then to find this out after the fact, you're like motherfucker. You know, you want you want to believe, and you want to believe that that people are good, and unfortunately, this was was not good, and. Uh, Goes around, comes around. I feel like I should mention something I've been working on. And I haven't even told you, uh, we're working on some, something to wrestle condoms. Well, if you're going to take blue chew, it's good precaution. I'm going to send you some mock-ups. I think you're going to be pretty happy. Wrap your willy. <laughs> uh, we should mention during this time, Matt Hardy and Alita would break up. She's going to start dating edge. And we've done a whole show on this early on in the archives. Uh, but I guess we could just very briefly mention, you know, when you first hear about this, I mean, I'm sure this is, is locker room whisper campaign before it hits the dirt sheets. Right. Or is that the opposite of the way you found out? It kind of was, but it was also really quietly whispered. So it wasn't openly talked about. And I think that people really didn't even choose sides because they liked everybody involved. Right. And it was chalked up to uh, look, it's life. We're all on the road together an awful lot and things happen sometimes. And no one was at least from my vantage point, from what I had heard was that there, there was nobody really choosing sides. Again, it was just, Hey man, you know, unfortunately this happened and shit happens sometimes, man. It's life it happens every day. Go check it out in the archives uh, for something to wrestle. We do have a whole episode very early on. I think back in 2016 on that. All right, Bruce, let's run a timeout right now to tell everybody about something going on with your dogs. Uh, no, I'm not talking about, uh, a couple of your favorite boys behind the scenes, like Michael Hayes or Ed Kosky. No, I'm talking about your real dogs like Roger, like, uh, Roger, it's Dodger. Damn it. The official dog of something to wrestle with. Really? That's what I said. Roger, you know, all right. I, all right. So I don't know Roger, but I do know Dodger. Roger. That's what I'm saying. Roger. I know what Rod Roger. Dodger. I, <laughs> Exactly. I got you. I know what Roger likes. Roger likes solid gold, but here's why you like it for him. Did you know that up to 80% of the immune system is influenced by the gut or that supporting the immune system through proper diet and digestive health enables pets to better fight environmental allergies. Solid gold is passionate about gut health because the healthy digestive system positively impacts the immune system and overall wellness of pets. And Solid Gold is the first holistic pet food company in America. Started way back in 1974 
by Sissy McGill. Now, Sissy was a trailblazer and a pioneer who disrupted a male dominated industry and created a natural pet food quote before it was cool. Sissy was inspired by European pet food and the fact that European great Danes live longer than their American counterparts. And her first recipe has now provided high quality nutrition and digestive health for over 20 generations of dogs. And we're really excited to have solid gold as a part of our show because my dogs love solid gold. Bruce's dogs love solid gold and your dogs will too. Solid gold's nutritional platform is inspired by their founding belief that high quality food is the best way to impact our pets, mind, body, and spirit. And for more than 45 years, solid gold has revolutionized this holistic pet food category. And they have a recipe for any cat or dog's dietary needs, including healthy whole grain and grain free options like wet food supplements like seal meal and 100% human grade bone broth for bone broth. Easy for me to say for dogs. Now it may have been tough for me to say, but man, your dog, Roger, he really loves bone broth. Doesn't he? Dude, when it's time to eat Dodger, Wally and Rowdy all come running, but it's when you twist the top on the bone broth, they just like start salivating and go nuts. And it is their absolute favorite. And solid gold is the place to get it because they have the best bone broth, according to Dodger and yep. Walter. Roger loves it and you will too. Solid gold foods are different because they cleanse the digestive system with whole superfoods. They're going to balance with living probiotics and fuel with omega three and six fatty acids. They're going to support gut health and nourish your pet inside and out. Do what Bruce and I are doing. Get your dog on the solid gold plan, man. Right now, see the solid gold deal of the week. Go to solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. I want to give that to you again. That's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle to see the deal of the week. Remember, it's solidgoldpet.com slash wrestle. And if Roger loves it, you will too. Now, let's talk about something else from way back in the day. Ted DiBiase, according to uh, Wade Keller's report here has admitted to not following the product, but has been hired by WWE in a role that will, uh, basically make him an agent. And I guess a creative consultant to the creative staff. Keller would write DiBiase has little formal booking experience, but was highly regarded by his colleagues during his peak wrestler years in the eighties as a world-class worker. He had recently been part of the religious themed wrestling show circuit. He's best known for his million dollar man character. Talk to me about Ted DiBiase. We know that this is. Maybe not the best fit for him. No, it really wasn't. And Ted is one of those examples of someone who could do it all in the ring and was one of the best to ever do it. However, Teddy wasn't one of those guys that could just come up with an idea and come up with programs and ideas and things to take you down the line if someone else had the idea and said, Hey, Ted, we need to get a match out of this. Ted could do that and do it very well. If it was him, him for Ted to give that knowledge or give that direction to someone else, it would be difficult for him. And, and Teddy was the first one to tell you that this wasn't his forte and this wasn't where he thought his strength was. Ted was much better at uh, analyzing a match after the fact and telling someone where they could have put things and 
help them with psychology as to why you want to put this here versus there and why you do the things that you do inside of the ring. Teddy won one of those to go, hey, I've got an idea for a main event at WrestleMania. Not what he did. And it was, well, we'll try you here because of your expertise. And in, in other, maybe you can help with some of the ideas that some of these kids are coming up with and, and mold them, you know, and take your knowledge and take their knowledge and put it together. But it just wasn't a good fit. And, and I remember the point where Teddy went to the hospital from, we don't know what the, what the hell it was. I'm not sure that, that even he does at this point, except maybe being overweight and out of shape and just running too hard. Um, but he and Dusty were having breakfast at the hotel and Teddy's eyes just rolled in the back of his head and he passed out and they called the ambulance, got him to the hospital and what have you. And I got there and there was Dusty and, uh, Ted's, (laughs) Ted's laying on the, on the gurney and he's, he's come to now and he's like, what the hell, man? He goes, I don't know if I was dehydrated, exhaustion, blah, 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 do what? And they needed to get a urine sample and they'd already, we'd, we'd helped Ted get out and we'd got him into a gown and it's just me and dusty in the curtained off area in the emergency room with him. And the nurse comes in and says, yeah, we're going to need to get a urine sample. Um, you can do it right here. And Dusty was like, oh, oh, he'll come. Hang on. Hang on. You're going you gonna to need to you're going to need to stand back when he whipped big jumbo out him. <laughs> and Bruce, said, Bruce, said, get over here because it's going to take a couple of us to hold this for him and everything. Hold, hold it. The sample. And we're just laughing so goddamn hard. We have no idea if Teddy's going to live or die, but we had fun. You know, you touched on stuff. First of all, thank you for sharing the jumbo story. I don't think you've ever told the full thing before, but you mentioned something there that really stood out to me that I don't think I've ever really considered. And that's, um, wow. That I don't know why I've never thought about that, but perhaps there's some guys who can only really tell you sort of post-match instead of pre-match. So they can't really help you lay it out and they have trouble with the visualization, and it's almost like, uh, if you let's make the analogy to maybe building a house versus remodeling a house, Teddy was a great home remodeler, but not, maybe not able to be a great home builder. Fair to say. He was not a good, uh, architect, but if Ted were building his own home, oh, it'd yeah. be, it'd be great. But he can't tell you how to build your house, but if you got to show right. your kitchen, he can, he can show you how to make your kitchen better. Yeah. And he can build his own house. Yeah. That's but he for, couldn't build someone else's. That's that's pretty fascinating because I don't think I've ever really thought about the wrestling trade in sort of a pre or post way until you just laid it out that he could watch your match and say, oh, you should have moved those pieces around like this and it would have worked better as opposed to saying, hey, guys, why don't you do it like this just with a blank canvas and that difference being such a critical difference. Let's exactly. Talk, let's talk about 24-7. Uh, this is when... Uh, the, the company is sort of pre-network and they're pushing out an on-demand video service to a lot of different cable systems. And now in this era, they just had a whole bunch of new cable systems sign up, including Cox cable, which is a really big one. 
Uh, <laughs> you said Cox. Oh my gosh. Listen, <laughs> I gotta tell you, I loved 24 seven and I, I loved some of the content they came up with like legends of the round table or whatever they called it. Uh, but it's, you know, a, a semicircle of legends breaking down one particular topic. Usually Ming Jean hosted Jr. would be there a lot. Michael Hayes would be there a lot. Uh, Mike Graham, I think was, was a staple. JJ Dillon was on some of those really, really fun stuff. Why don't you think, um, obviously the 24 seven service evolved. Why do you think maybe that particular format hasn't been brought to the network? I, you know, what the format of 24 seven, I think that that no. is the network. No, no, not that I'm saying the round table discussions with the, uh, the legends, I think the different from table for three and different incarnations of it have been brought to the network, just not necessarily that one, you know, round table deal. I loved it as well. I loved the whole 24 seven channel and would just, you know, you get lost in it kind of like you do the network. Now, when you, you do that deep dive and you start going through shit, it's like, holy cow. What was um, interesting about the psychology of 24 seven is they put new content up every month, but they would also take out old content every month. So it really made it like appointment TV where you were like, Oh, I better hurry up and watch this. And I feel like sometimes on the network, we take for granted just how much stuff is there, but the whole add to and take away where some of the stuff would age out. You're like, Oh man, I better watch this before it's gone. I think that that maybe changed the way I enjoyed the on-demand content. Yeah, that's true too. And it's. Like you say, made an appointment television and made it whatever date that was every month for you to go back and see, oh, what did they put up? And they would put it up like a new legends. And then they would put up, you know, the history of Florida championship wrestling, but they would do it on different days. Right. So you had to keep checking back and go back and see what else was new. And normally I would just wait until five or six days after when everything they were going to put up was up. And then it's what you call, it's what you call binge watching, Start watching with. a binge, which means you, you, you watch it all at one time. Is that your JR impression? I don't know. That's a cross between JR and fucking, I don't know. Elmer Fudd. Uh, let's talk about the rock. He does an interview here with Opie and Anthony, which once upon a time was a huge radio show and, uh, it's on XM radio. And rock is asked about his status with WWE. And he says that his contract lapsed and he talked about being quote, pissed off and quote unquote, disappointed how WWE handled it, considering his family's long history with the company. And he said, even though I'd become this big movie star, I was always willing to come back and help him out in my free time. And they ask him if he's going to be at WrestleMania and he says no. And then he hasn't talked to Vince in quite a while. This is interesting because. WrestleMania is going Hollywood and wrestling's biggest Hollywood star, not going to be participating. Uh, is this just, everybody's got hurt feelings and their ass on their shoulders. Do you think Vince was ever going to reach out to rock to be a part of this show? I think it was just timing more than anything. And I don't know necessarily the rock was even available. So it was probably all the above. And sometimes it's, gets blown out of proportion when you've got a better story to tell. So that's, that's where it was. And I don't know that rock was even available for us when 21. 
uh, Vince does an interview with, uh, the Atlanta newspaper and he talks about the state of the industry and he says, professional wrestling isn't flying high through pop culture as it was during the late nineties. We're certainly not at our peak at the moment. Our business has always been one of ebb and flow, but not unlike any other entertainment business. When you look at the movie business, sometimes the studio have really good product and sometimes they don't. The same could be said for the arena business. It's been down across the board from concerts to family entertainment. So it becomes more competitive and we're in competition with ourselves, whether it's other pay-per-view offerings or video games or things of that nature. We're in all of those platforms. And when you ask someone to bring their family, pay for parking, a hot dog or a t-shirt, you're really talking about a lot of money. And we have to make certain that if someone goes that far and commits to the product, that they get their money's worth and then some. And it's not an all, it's not always an easy thing to do. I've always been fascinated when Vince talks about business when it's down, because we, we, we're all very familiar with the Mr. McMahon character and the bravado of, you know, I held the fate of that company in my hands. And so sort of the Mr. McMahon, the conqueror persona juxtaposed to, well, business isn't as great as it once was the businessman. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what you think his finger on the pulse of the future of WWE was in early 05 here. Well, look, he's always got his finger on the pulse and he's always looking several years down the road. So to be able to look and say, okay, here's where we are. And this is, this is the ride. Um, here's the ride we're going to take. And look to the future. They're asking him to speak on today and he's speaking on today and speaking on the past, but in Vince's head, he's always so far beyond it that when, you know, little things come up, like a dip in business that sidetracks him, that gets to be very frustrating because you you can't look at what are we going to do in 2010 here at this point? And that's where his head was. You know, one of the things that has often been discussed is, oh, it's because, you know, WWE doesn't have competition. They were at their best when they had competition. And in the same interview with the Atlanta newspaper, he would write, in some ways, I miss our great rivalry. We were both burning the candle at both ends. And it was a question of whose candle was going to burn out first because it was such an intense rivalry. Both sets of talent were overexposed and overworked. At that pace, of course, someone's going to burn out. We couldn't really have a meeting of the minds. I couldn't have just called Ted and said, Hey, let's slow down and both live for a while. That's antitrust. And you can't do that. Our country isn't based on that. It's based on competition. And there certainly was no goal by our company to be the sole survivor at this level of the business today. It just happened that way as such, by being the only game in town, so to speak, it creates an awesome responsibility for us now. And he's saying all of this while, you know, TNA is, is landing a deal with, uh, Fox Sportsnet and is hopeful on landing a national television show. We know that's going to happen. That's definitely coming. Do you think Vince was, was not as did Vince lose a step creatively? Was he less motivated without competition? It does feel like Vince is, you know, if you guys were both going to not necessarily carpool somewhere. You're going to caravan somewhere. You're in your car and he's in his car. He's going to fucking get wherever y'all are going first. Right. 
Absolutely. He's just competitive by nature. And so I wonder, you know, does, does that sort of, when that goes dormant, does that part of his competitive nature and the creative juices that maybe come through that just go away? No, uh, he finds ways to compete with himself and he finds ways to just look at what they've accomplished and go, okay, we need to beat that. So no, he'll, he'll always find ways to, maybe it's not Ted Turner. Maybe now it's paramount or universal and I've got to beat them. And he's always going to have some, he's always going to have a goal and he's always going to have something to overcome no matter what it is or to invent take to the next level. Maybe just who he is. Maybe the next competition is ECW because the company is making great strides to build out the ECW one night stand reunion pay-per-view scheduled for June 12th in Manhattan. And there's been some competition pop up because Shane Douglas has announced that he's going to run an ECW reunion themed style show uh, a day or two before in Philadelphia at the home of ECW, the former ECW arena, and they're going to call it hardcore homecoming. I really enjoyed both shows. It's the greatest wrestling weekend of my life. I managed to make it to both shows. Did you, uh, did you ever watch hardcore homecoming or have any interest in seeing it? Can't say that I ever did. Well, and second question. No, I didn't have any interest in seeing it. Doesn't surprise me. I suppose you're, you're an ECW hater through and through. I am not an ECW hater at all. I enjoyed the product that Paul Haven put together and I found it intriguing in the times that I would watch it. I didn't watch it all the time, but what I did see, I enjoyed. Let's keep it moving here. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, WrestleMania 21. We've of course got to talk about the, nah, I hated it. Fuck it. Let's talk about the marketing campaign. I think this WrestleMania, I don't think it's up for debate, has the best commercials in the history of any WrestleMania. And Wade Keller would say that they're spending more than $5 million in advertising to promote WrestleMania uh, to raise awareness for the pay-per-views, including putting the commercials on in 290 Regal Cinemas uh, in the top 25 markets. They're doing major ad buys on TV, radio, and of course, web markets. And this is a big deal because it hasn't always been something the company has done, but the idea that we're going quote unquote Hollywood, and we're going to do all these Hollywood feature film spoofs and then run them before the movies start in movie theaters. That's fucking a no brainer. I mean, great job by you guys from a promotional aspect. Yeah. And it did do a lot to, for the awareness of the WWE I don't know that it did a lot for the WrestleMania event itself because there, there was no specific here. Here's what we're doing. And, um, they were excellent. You talking to me, you talking to me, you talking to me, you talking to us. Cut. Reframe. Are you talking to me? Talking to me. So what am I saying? Um, Triple H with the, the Mel Gibson thing and Braveheart. Sons of Scotland, I am Triple H. Now I've heard the stories. I'm seven feet tall and I defeat superstars by the hundreds. And if they were here, I would consume them with fireballs for my eyes and lightning 
from my heart. JBL with a few good men. I mean, oh my God. They were expertly done. God, they were great. Did you order the Bashams to interview? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! And, uh, about that Stacey they Keebler were great one? awareness. The Stacy Keebler one is worth another look, by the way. She gave me a lot of pleasure. You ever engage in any mixed tag activity? Exactly what did you have in mind, detective? What about hardcore activity? Depends on what you like. How about sadomasochistic activity? Just oh, big you. time. Oh, my God, yes. That was her Sharon Stone was on the money. Tremendous. And we're going to, uh, we're going to have some audio from some of those throughout the show here. Let's talk about spike TV. This is big news. They've pulled out of negotiations with WWE, which means USA network is now the top candidate. So when the renewal comes up and the contract expires in the fall, that means raw after five years of being on spike, which at the time was TNN where ECW was, is going to have to move. And so will velocity experience and heat. And at this point, USA network is the only other cable network in serious negotiations. That is not a great spot to be, you know, when you've got multiple platforms and stations sort of negotiating, then you probably are, are prime for a good deal. But when you only have one offer, it's not exactly the, uh, the strongest power play position to be in, right? Well, you still had, I think that the only reason that TNN pulled out was because they realized that they weren't going to win and the offers back and forth had already been made. So it was, it was a point of negotiation where they're like, okay, well, we're not in this game anymore and pulled out. It didn't change the fact that USA was still very interested in that USA had already made an offer that was much more than what we were doing on spike. We should mention that the company's current deal with spike is 28 million a year. They're looking for a $12 million bump. They want to get to 40 million. Instead, spike decides to go a different direction and they're going to add CSI New York, uh, which is going to mean, uh, I don't know, just a paradigm shift for them. We should mention a few weeks later though. No stress, no press, no fuss, no muss. WWE's coming back to USA. In hindsight, was it a mistake to ever leave? I mean, we've talked a lot about Bonnie Hammer here on the show and what a great relationship you guys had, not only when the f- show first launches, uh, but through the height of the Attitude Era, the late 90s, she would sort of let you guys get away with some things when you were uh, battling with WCW. And it feels like, uh, for whatever reason, there was a, a grass is greener type feel. And now of course we know we're always back where it always was USA. Even today. I think at that time that it was probably one of the best things that we ever did was leave because USA has taken us for granted. And when we asked for more money at the time, they looked at it as where are you going to go? Right. We, we've been your home for all this time. You're not going to go to any Turner properties and who else can do it? And that's when spike stepped up TNN at the time, stepped up and said, we'll do it. 
and they paid more than what USA. It was all business move. So that just increased our worth because after leaving, now all of a sudden USA realizes that, hey, wait a minute, we're no longer the number one cable company. And what changed? Well, what changed was WWE had moved on and they had gone over to Spike. Uh, so USA realized and saw, saw the light, if you will, how valuable that property was. So when it came back time and contracts were up for negotiation, they were in those negotiations and they didn't want to lose out again because we had built it together and, you know, one without the other wasn't as strong. Okay, Bruce, we need to remind everybody that right now is the time to keep your finances in mind. There's so much uncertainty in the world right now, but there is one certainty and that's, we've still got bills and you're probably paying interest on some of those. And now is the best time ever to keep more of your own money. If you've got credit card debt, I encourage you to pay that down to zero, but do not close your cards. Now, normally I would tell you, no, get rid of your credit card debt. It's the worst. Things are different now. You need to pay your balance down to zero. And then if you can get your credit card provider to up your limit a little bit, it sure would be nice just to have a little extra cushion just in case. If you don't have three to six months of your personal bills set aside, you're probably feeling extra stress right now. Now is the right time to endeavor to start saving that money. Here's the problem. If you wait until you have some employment issues, you can't go borrow money. If you go down to the bank and you say, Hey, I'd like to borrow $5,000. Cool. Let me see your two most recent pay stubs. Well, I'm laid off. They're not going to loan you the money. You've got to have the ability to repay. That's sort of the cosmic joke of the lending business. The people who need help the most, you can't help because they're out of work. If you still have your job, but you also have credit card debt, you need to get rid of it as fast as you can, but don't close the cards. You also need to build yourself up a personal reserve. I know a lot of people preach you need to have an extra thousand dollars. Probably going to need more than that right now. I'm going to encourage you to figure out what your household budget is and let's set aside three to six months worth of those bills. Now I can help you with all of this. If you're a homeowner, I can get you not only a better rate because rates are still great, but you can even skip your next two house payments. So what we're talking about is no house payments for May or June. You're done until July and come July 1st, maybe the world looks a lot different, but if it doesn't, I can make sure that when you close, you get three to six months of your personal bills and cash back that you can stick in a separate savings account and just use it in case of emergency. I can also help you pay your credit cards down to zero, which is probably going to save you several hundred dollars per month, but it frees up that credit. So if things do happen and life throws you a curveball, you're good to go. Let me see if I can help. Let me run the numbers for you. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And I know it's Saturday, but we're still here ready to hook you up. Get yourself a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. And again, you don't need perfect credit. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and you don't need money out of your pocket. This is no cost, no obligation. If we can't save you money, we won't waste your time. But we're licensed in more than 40 states. And if you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got credit card debt, if you have a second mortgage, if you don't have some money set aside, now is the right time to take a look. Let us run the numbers just in case it's also worth mentioning, we offer a seven-year guarantee where if your needs change in the next seven years, we'll help you refinance again without paying a whole new set of lender fees. 
Find out how easy it is to save a bunch of cash for your family and talk to my family at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, SaveWithConrad.com. They do a press release uh, with uh, reps from WWE and NBC Universal talking about how excited they were. USA Network President Bonnie Hammer would write, I'm thrilled to be back in business again with Vince and Linda McMahon. I led the USA team that helped grow raw into a true pop phenomenon. And it's great to welcome it home. And Linda McMahon would say, we're very happy to be returning to USA network where we experienced some of our greatest successes and to NBC where we had tremendous success with our series of late night specials, Saturday night's main event in the 1980s. It's a big deal to have them back here. And it's uh, it's a three year contract. Uh, Wade Keller is going to have a report about John Laurinaitis. He would write his current good standing with Stephanie is quote, Steph still sees John as the golden boy, whereas Vince sees through it. It might be because John was never around before Steph was a boss. So he treats her with respect. Whereas others still see her as daddy's girl on a high horse. You know, that's something that you've talked about a little bit, uh, in, in older episodes that it was a challenge for some of the office personnel, perhaps yourself included once upon a time when you knew her as the little girl that you used to, you know, see over at the McMahon compound. And now she's a, she's a player. What was her relationship like with John Laurinaitis in this era? And, uh, what can you tell us about Stephanie sort of coming into her own as an executive in the company? Well, I think that, you know, John was new and John didn't, you know, hadn't had that relationship before. So John coming in, John was just doing his job. And again, it was the most thankless job in the company Um, in talent relations. Everything falls on you and everything's your fault. Um, so John was just doing his job and a lot of that was dealing with Steph and the creative at that time. But again, you look at, uh, everything that Steph has done and especially now it's, it was all new then it was all, it was all brand new. And like anything else, people would sit back and go, Oh my God, you know, they don't understand you got to earn your stripes. You're new. You're four years old. You're, you're four years in the company. Well, a part of that is true. You forget about the other 25 years living <laughs> the life of the company and being surrounded by it her entire life. So, so for someone with, let's say, you know, eight to 10 year veteran in the company and this kid comes in that, um, oh, they're only there because, they're in the family, they forget about the experience and the education that they received at the foot of the people making those decisions for their entire life and how all those decisions affected their entire life. So I'll take those, that experience over the, the Harvard graduate any day of the week. Um, and that's just, that's just life. I think that that's human nature and how people look at things sometimes without the realistic look of, okay, well maybe, maybe give them a chance. And just because they're young doesn't mean they're stupid. Let's talk about Steve Austin. He makes an appearance on ESPN radio to promote WrestleMania 22. And he talks about his favorite opponent being Ricky Steamboat and WCW and Bret Hart and the WWF. And they're talking about sort of a dream match scenario. 
and they bring up him versus Hulk Hogan. He says it would have been a clash of styles, but he says he would have loved to have wrestled Andre the giant. And then he says he regrets not having a chance to wrestle Goldberg, but the timing just never worked out for them. And I do think those are probably two of the matches that fans talked about the most, you know, while both Goldberg and Austin were up and running hard in the late nineties, that was the dream match. But then later, you know, once the sun had sort of set on Austin's career, I think a lot of people started to talk about Hulk Hogan and, and stone cold as a perhaps dream match. If you had to book one of those, which one do you think would have made the most sense and created the most magic Hogan and Austin and who else Hogan and Austin or Austin Goldberg? Well, I would have said Austin Goldberg. I had a feeling you would say that. And Austin has pretty consistently said the same thing that he felt like the Hogan match wouldn't have worked. It just would have been a a styles clash type thing. And you know, some of us fans, we don't really follow what that means. Sort of verbalize why you would prefer Goldberg Austin over because Austin, because Austin and Goldberg, both were the guys that came in in their respective places to become the top guy. Hogan had been the top guy. You know what I mean? He, he was the man. He was a standard bearer for a long time. And Steve and Bill came in for their respective companies and became the top guy and became the, the hottest thing in the company. And I think that that was just a more natural selection. Not that I wouldn't have wanted to see Steven Hogan. I just think that at the time that the, the more intriguing match would have been Austin Goldberg because they were the hottest at the same time. They, they had been on the same kind of trajectory at the same, in the same time frame. I think it would have been more interesting. Let's talk about the uh, hall of fame class. It goes down, of course, the night before WrestleMania 21, it's a big class, man. We got the iron sheet going in. Sergeant Slaughter is going to induct him. Nikolai Volkoff is going in. He's inducted by Jim Ross. Hall Orndorff will be inducted by Bobby Heenan. Jimmy Hart will be inducted by Jerry Lawler. Bob Orton will be inducted by son, Randy. Roddy Piper will be inducted by Ric Flair. And the main event, man, Hulk Hogan inducted by Sylvester Stallone. Pretty big class here. What do you remember about the, uh, WrestleMania 21 hall of fame ceremony? Well, it was probably one of the most star studded classes. When you look at the time frame of 1984 to about 1986, 1987, this was the all-star class. This was, you know, the original WrestleMania guys. This was the first action figures. These were the guys that when everything exploded, they were on every cover. They were the ones that everybody was talking about. So, um, it just was a pretty damn good logical class from the same time frame of bringing everybody up. And I think to the, the fan that was watching in 1984, Hulk Hogan's rock and wrestling and, um, the whole Cindy Lauper, Wendy Richter, all that shit. This was, this was the time. These were the guys. These were the ones that were there doing it and that you always remembered. So, um, to me, it was a pretty damn cool class. It was a great class. Let's get to WrestleMania 21. 
Um, oh, before we do, we should talk about those commercials, I guess. Forrest Gump is going to be featuring Eugene playing the role of Tom Hanks. William Regal is going to make a cameo here. Braveheart will feature Triple H playing uh, Mel Gibson's role, William Wallace, with Ric Flair making a cameo. Basic Instinct, which we plugged earlier, is Stacey Keebler playing the Sharon Stone character, along with uh, Benoit, Jericho, and Christian playing the roles of the interrogators, and Mae Young and Fabulous Moolah make a cameo. Pulp Fiction features Eddie Guerrero and Booker T in the old. For that one was awesome, too. <laughs> Uh, a few good men is John Cena and JBL playing Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and Jonathan Coachman makes a cameo there. Dirty Harry has the undertaker playing the role of Clint Eastwood. When Harry met Sally has Kurt Angle and Christy Hemme playing uh, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan and Linda McMahon makes a cameo. Then taxi driver has Heidenreich, Batista, Shawn Michaels, Ray Mysterio, Shelton Benjamin, the Bashams, the Big Show, Candace Michelle, Carlito, Tajiri, Orlando Jordan, Joy, Gene Snitsky, Paul London, Taz, Chavo, uh, Hardcore Holly, Molly Holly, and Michael Cole, all doing Robert De Niro's old You Talking to Me. Uh, the Gladiator opening is uh, Steve Austin playing the role of Russell Crowe. And this is, uh, in my opinion, and I know you said maybe it didn't sell the most pay per views because they're not really doing a big call to action. But as far as branding for the company, this is about as good as anything you guys ever did, I think. Yeah, I thought they were absolutely excellent. Like I said, to this day, people still talk about those commercials. They talk about the commercials. They don't talk about the event. Yeah, and the event is such a fucking sleeper, man. And I don't know why, but good Lord, what a great show this was. Before the pay-per-view, there's a 30-man uh, interpromotional battle royal Booker T is going to win last eliminating Chris masters. And then the show opens with this awesome open. And then Lillian Garcia sings America, the beautiful Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler are going to introduce the show. They go to the Spanish announce team followed by Michael Cole and Taz. And then we do like a, uh, a highlight montage of all of these movie spoofs. And of course the Steve Austin gladiator open, but then Maybe one of the best matches to ever open a WrestleMania. I loved it. It's Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero. And you want to start the show with a bang, put these guys in here and give them some time. They've got 12 minutes to put on quite the show. Two and three quarter stars. This is some big talent here in the opening match. And Eddie Guerrero was, was in the ring when the final curtain fell at WrestleMania 20, celebrating with his pal, Chris Benoit. They're both world champions. Fast forward one year and he's in the first match on the show, but he made it happen. I love this match. It was a great match and it was a perfect way to open up that show because it set the tone for it. And you had two of the greatest in there battling, uh, with great story. And it, it made man, it made sense. I thought it was excellent. Uh, Wade would say good match, but for a four hour pay-per-view, it really lost an opportunity and a great disappointment that they didn't let them go at least 18 minutes. There were a couple of shaky moments in the match. Guerrero afterwards almost seemed to be legitimately disappointed in the match, not just selling the storyline effect of losing still. It was really good in spots. He gave it two and three quarters. I think it's better than that. Maybe it's just because I love these guys so much, but when I saw that they're the opening match, I got really excited and into this and. After the match, we go backstage and we see JBL or Orlando Jordan walking and they, 
uh, are talking about beating up John Cena later. And then they bump into triple H and Ric Flair. So now you've got the two champion heels bumping into each other and Hunter sarcastically says, Oh, look, the wrestling God, what a joke. And they're going back and forth about who's really the better man. And we'll see who's the champ later tonight. And the crowd actually gets into it a little bit when, uh, Flair gets in Jordan's face and says, woo. So it's a nice way to sort of end the segment. The crowd pops on this, but what's the, what's the purpose of having the two sort of heel champions bump into each other. And maybe they have an issue with each other too. Well, the beauty of it is that we had split shows. You had raw roster and a SmackDown roster that didn't really cross and pay-per-view was the only time that the two sides and especially WrestleMania that the two sides would ever come together. So it's a way to rub brands up against one another. And there's just natural competition, the AFC and the NFC. And this was SmackDown and raw. So you get your two champions together and the fact they were both heels and the fact that they both had advisors, if you will, with them, it was just a, a natural setting, natural occurrence. Next up, we see, uh, Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider in the crowd. And then it's time for quite the match. My friends, second match on this show, the original money in the bank ladder match. The idea for this match was introduced by Chris Jericho, who would propose a six man ladder match for the event in which the winner would receive a contract for a world title match at a time and place of his choosing the raw GM at the time, Eric Bischoff then books the match at WrestleMania 21. And according to Jericho. Uh, the first idea was a submission match between edge Jericho and Benoit, uh, and then a ladder match with the other wrestlers. What do you remember about this? Was this a pivot? The original idea was edge Jericho and Benoit, and then everybody else was in a ladder match. And then somehow the money in the bank was born. You know, I think that I want to say it was Michael Hayes and, and I don't, but don't hold me to that. I'm, I can already hear Brian the works or as I would say, Brian Gerwitz, um, telling me no Bruce, damn it. It was so-and-so's. Um, but, I, to my recollection, I remember Michael Hayes pitching cause Michael Hayes would always pitch somebody going off of some 18,000 story building and doing a triple moon salt, quadruple double flip Furnham Snavitz into the gizim and, and, um, so that I, it just evolved. It just evolved in, into a what if. What if there was a contract hanging above the the ring, and instead of a contract, you put it in a briefcase, and all this shit that just evolved from all these different different ideas of ladder matches. What could be up there if you don't have a championship? What else could be up there? And you've seen different versions of, you know, checks hanging up there, contracts hanging up there, you know, on a clipboard type thing. And, and it was just a different way to do the same match. This match is unbelievable. Uh, Edge, Shelton Benjamin, Chris Jericho, Christian Kane, and Chris Benoit. And man, I forget how fucking talented Shelton Benjamin is. You know, the rest of these guys. We know what their resumes are. They're all going to be world champions and bona fide hall of famers, et cetera, et cetera. But man, Shelton Benjamin looked like just a natural at everything he did. And this match is just unbelievable. Especially when you realize it's the very first one, 15 minutes and 10 seconds, four and a half stars. 
of course, uh, edge grabs the, uh, chair at the very end smashes Benoit in the shoulder with it. They've been working on a shoulder the entire time. Benoit selling it in great misery. Edge climbs the ladder, yanks it down. And we know that edge winning here, his cash in is going to be something, something extra special, but good Lord. I hadn't seen this one in a long time. And this was fantastic. I mean, sure. There's been maybe more spectacular spots since, but knowing this was the first one and all this hall of fame talent, really, really great stuff. Can't recommend it enough. I think everybody should go find time to watch this one today. Yeah. And, and it was excellent. And you look at everybody that was in the damn thing and how they shine throughout you had Kane there's the big man to do the big man spots and everybody else played their role to perfection. So this was one of those perfect storms where everybody made a difference in the match. What is interesting to me though, is, I mean, let's run through the talent again, edge. We know we've seen him in TLC matches, Shelton Benjamin. He could have a match on Mars and he'd be fine. Chris Jericho, we know he's a high flyer and can do all kinds of stuff. Uh, Christian, again, a TLC veteran. Chris Benoit, sort of like Chris Jericho. Put him anywhere and he's going to fit. But Kane? Kane is sort of the, the weird, which one of these is not like the other. But for whatever reason, it makes sense here. It does. And that, that was the point. It was everybody said that. Too. Goddamn, Kane can't do all of those things. That's the beauty of it all. What's Kane going to do? How's Kane? What advantage does Kane have? And the advantage that Kane has was he was the big fucking powerful monster that'll just plow through people and he'll, you know, stack people up to get to the money in the bank, whatever it is. But yes, he did fit in the fact that he didn't fit. It's weird how all those pieces fit together. And, and what's even more weird is how we get a WrestleMania moment from something that's not even scheduled. As soon as this match is over, Eugene just walks to the ring to zero reaction and stutters on the mic and says, I, I can't believe it. I'm at WrestleMania. And of course the crowd is, is getting into the Eugene character a little bit. And he says his favorite moment is when King Kong Bundy body slammed. And again, folks, this is a different time body slammed a midget. And he said, you know, good and bad midgets formed an army and attacked Bundy and midgets are awesome. WrestleMania is awesome. And then Muhammad Hassan and Davari come to the ring in their full gear. And they're ranting about not being a part of WrestleMania and say, they're going to make their own WrestleMania moment. They attack Eugene, put him in the camel clutch and then real American starts playing and the fucking arena melts. Here comes Hulk Hogan in the full gear, red and yellow just outstanding moment here. That's not on the books, not scheduled, just the coolest of cool surprises. And I kind of forgot this even happened. And we did a Davari episode or a Muhammad Hassan episode, not that long ago, but when the Eugene thing happened, I'm like, man, what are they doing with this? And then when it hit, man, I was 10 years old again, fantastic WrestleMania moment. Goosebumps, goosebumps, yes. because you look at it and with the exception of the time in the NWO, for Hulk to be back and doing all this again, it was, it was just magic. Tremendous. People wanted it. They, they wanted him so bad and they got it. Go out of your way to see it. Such a cool moment. Goosebumps. Like you said, next up, something that I kind of forget again, had even happened. Randy Orton 
and the undertaker. Uh, the feud first starts on March 7th when Orton challenges undertaker to a match at WrestleMania and he's calling it the legend versus the legend killer. And Orton uh, says he's been inspired by superstar Billy Graham who encouraged him to quote, go where no wrestler has gone before. And three days later, undertaker accepts Orton's challenge on the March 14th raw during the highlight reel from Chris Jericho's segment. Jake Roberts attempts to give Orton advice about his match with the undertaker, but he gets an RKO uh, for his trouble on the March 17th episode of SmackDown. Uh, we have the contract signing between Teddy long and Eric Bischoff, the general managers of SmackDown and raw respectively, the undertaker immediately signs the contract, but before Orton signs, he cuts a promo on the undertaker saying he has nothing but respect for him. And then claims that a legend of the undertaker will become a myth when uh, 12 and 0 becomes 12 and one, he slaps the undertaker and flees the ring. And then the arena fills with smoke. He doesn't sign the contract the next week. Orton turns heel officially in case you weren't sure and hits an RKO on Stacy Keebler. Who's his girlfriend at the time. And he starts taunting the undertaker the next few weeks. Uh, and, uh, on the go home edition of SmackDown on a way to WrestleMania here, Orton's father, cowboy, Bob Orton is going to beg the undertaker to have mercy on Orton. It proves to be a setup though, because the undertaker gets attacked by Randy and nailed with an RKO. So the stage is set here. Legend versus legend killer. They get plenty of time, 14 minutes and six seconds, three and a quarter stars. Uh, you already know the verdict. The, uh, the undertaker gets the win. Uh, Wade would say well executed and a nice tease by Orton with the tombstone at the end. It had the methodical pace of an undertaker match early on, but it was never boring. And I got to tell you, there's such a cool moment in this that I didn't remember until I watched it back this week. The undertaker goes for the choke slam and somehow Randy turns it into an RKO and the crowd just loses their mind thinking, oh my God, that's it. Of course he kicks out and then he tries, he teases that he's going to go for the tombstone. That's right. Randy Orton is going to tombstone the undertaker. Of course, the undertaker reverses it and that's the finish. I love the match. I love the finish. This might actually be besides the Shawn Michaels stuff, my favorite undertaker WrestleMania match, maybe the whole story going into Randy and the legend killer. And, and to me, when you talk about the Undertaker's streak, this is where the, the streak really picked up steam. Yeah. Because Randy made such an issue out of, I'm going to be the one to end that streak. I'm going to be the one to give you that that one. And I, there's nothing else left to say to it. I thought the match was great. I thought the story was excellent. And... These two guys, please best in business. Let me ask, is it true that, um, that Michael Hayes is the guy who first realized the undertaker had never lost? I don't know. He's never told me that, but I've just heard somebody. It may have even been you. me. Okay. Yeah. He, I think it was Michael Hayes where he just says randomly. Hey, did you know that taker ain't never lost at WrestleMania? I don't even know why we're talking. The taker ain't never lost. Now I'm doing a little bit of John Paul Shellnut too there. What the fuck am I doing here? Hey, taker ain't never lost. Not once. I got to tell you a funny story. I got a sidebar here. Please do. Okay. So <laughs> this week's been crazy. All this shit. And, uh, April 1st, 
which I didn't even realize what the date was. But anyway, four days ago, a lot of things are going down. And in the middle of, of my morning and all this stuff, I'm texting with Michael Hayes. And I'm going back and forth with Michael Hayes on some different issues. And it starts at like 1030 in the morning. And then at about four o'clock, after it has subsided a little bit, I get a text. And the text reads, hey, is this April Fool's? <laughs> I mean, it was all very serious business shit and about a lot of things happening and going out. And, and, and after six hours, Michael fucking, hey, is this April Fool's? I'm like, no, dude, I wish it was, but um, just work with me here. And I just, I, it just tickled me. That's all. It just tickled me. Well, that's funny. Thank you for sharing. We like when you share on the show. Well, I ain't going to do it anymore then. Fuck it. We hate it. Don't you do it again. Okay. So anyway, I got another one for you. <laughs> Next up, Go ahead. we've got two, uh, two ladies here doing their best to, uh, follow what a great show we've had so far. I feel bad for anybody who's got to follow anything so far, and it's just going to continue to get better. But next up is Trish Stratus and Christy Hemi. Uh, Christy's going to have Lita in her corner. They don't get a lot of time, four minutes and 40 seconds. Trish gets the win. And, uh, it gets half a star. Uh, the write-up would say they did a nice job making as best they could. The fact that Christy had no business being in the ring on this big of a stage at this point in her career, it looked like Christy was a rookie, but Trish was enough of a pro to make it watchable half a star. You know, we know that Trish is going to have uh, a much better match the next year with Mickey James, but Christy Hemi. Very, very new to the wrestling game here. And now she's in such a big stage, probably a lot of big show jitters here. If I had to guess. Yeah, I think so. And I, it was fine for what it was, but unfortunately it was just, it was there. It was a breakup match. So you could, you could put it out there anywhere. It's just kind of, you're, you're coming off of a hot Randy Orton undertaker match. Uh, let's give him a breather for a second because what's coming up next, you ain't going to be able to breathe. Up next, what is not the main event, but might as well be it's Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle at the Royal Rumble. A couple of months prior to this, Kurt Angle would attack Shawn Michaels after Shawn eliminated him from the Rumble. Now they're on different brands. Shawn's on Raw, Kurt's on SmackDown. The next month at No Way Out, Angle loses a number one contender match to John Cena, which costs him the spot in the SmackDown main event at WrestleMania. And the next night on Raw, Michaels tells the GM that, uh, informed Kurt angle that he is challenging him to a match at WrestleMania on the February 28th raw, Sean would defeat edge in a street fight. And then angle would attack Sean and accept his challenge on the next edition of SmackDown. Sean would attack angle in the ring and they fight until security breaks him up. And then angle starts to claim that he's better than Michaels and says he can prove it. And he could do everything that Michaels has but faster. And then he wins a ladder match, mocking Shawn Michaels match from WrestleMania 10. And he challenges Marty Jannetty for Shawn's former tag team partner to a match. He wins because Marty taps out. And then of course the famous bit that we've talked about before on both the Sherry episode and the angle episode, he gets Shawn's former manager sensational Sherry to do a spoof of sexy boy his old theme song, but it's just a sexy boy, sex 
sexy boy. I'm not your boy toy. Boy toy. I'm just a sexy boy. Sexy boy. Hot wax dripping on it. What do you say? I got a brand new record that I got to play. She says, not now, boy, but I did it anyway because I'm ready. Spend my days working hard on the go with the hands on the clock. Keep spinning too slow, cause I can't wait to be alone with my baby tonight. WrestleMania jukebox edition. Uh, sexy Kurt, man. I watched this back this week. I laughed all over again. Him coming to the ring with the cut up t-shirt like Sean and the, uh, the chaps on like Sean and doing the whole get on my knees and talk to God for a minute and throw my hands in the air and all the pyro goes off. And then he does the big pose really tremendous stuff here. Of course, at the end of this spoof with Sherry, as she's getting all emotional, watching the highlights, um, he pushes her down, gives her the ankle lock, remarkable stuff. Angle would also interfere in Shawn Michaels match against Muhammad Hassan on the go home raw before WrestleMania, which resulted in Michaels, of course, getting a win by DQ. But these guys had the longest match on the show. I think it's the longest match. They, they had plenty of time. Really, really a remarkable outing. I'm such a fan of this match. I didn't even remember how great this match was until I saw it back here. And I know I just said this about the undertaker. Maybe this being my, the show with my favorite match of his besides the one with Sean. But I think this is maybe Sean's forgotten great WrestleMania performance. I feel like when people talk about Shawn Michaels and WrestleMania, they either talk about his match at 10 with razor, or they talk about the crazy stuff with the undertaker, or maybe they even talk about what we just saw last night again with Ric Flair at WrestleMania 24, but dude, this one, how good was this match? It was excellent. And, and this goes from a period where Kurt angle was the man and Kurt angle was the guy that everybody wanted to work with. But then it, at the same time, some people didn't want to work with him. They thought, ah, well, he can have matches with certain people. Kurt could work with anybody and everybody and make them look great. So Kurt was the man. Sean had been the man. It was another example of taking the two best from the respective eras and putting them together. Didn't disappoint. Didn't disappoint a lick. Um it, it made you remember why Shawn Michaels is the greatest of all time. And it made you, uh, understand why Kurt angle couldn't be touched in his era at that time. Really remarkable stuff. Go out of your way to see it. Wade gives it four and a half stars. I don't even know what we're debating at this point. To me, this is as close to five as you can get really a remarkable outing. Um, he would write is in the, is, what if it was in the Tokyo dome? Come on. Uh, he says, uh, excellent match. It was a tad bit ordinary early on with the long mat work that wasn't particularly innovative, great second half and the incredible intensity by both leading to a tap out angle, failing to kick out during one near fall, hurt the match a bit, four and a half stars. It, they get a lot of time. As I said, 27 minutes, 16 seconds. They start with a lot of mat wrestling and then they get to all the spectacular stuff. Uh, they're really keying in on the fact that you as a longtime wrestling fan know that Sean has had some back issues. They're trying to put each other through tables and just all sorts of innovative stuff, uh, a tremendous story. And, and the, the Kurt angle moonsault that misses, and then 
when Sean goes to the top rope and then it becomes a top rope angle slam, just one highlight after another tremendous stuff. Kurt angle gets the win. Uh, Sean has no problem cementing, uh, Kurt angles legacy at this point. I think this is probably Kurt angles, best WrestleMania match ever. I think uh, on the WWE network, Kurt even says this is the best match he ever had. Certainly his best WrestleMania match. Would you agree? Yes. Followed by, uh, the one that he had the year before with Eddie Guerrero, which was one of my favorites. Yeah. That's a great so one. Yes. Too. But th- this one to me, I don't know why it just, I like it better. Um, but after such a emotional investment like that, uh, in such high intensity, you need something to sort of break it up and what better than a Piper's pit. Roddy Piper is going to come out and ask who the baddest guy in the company ever was. And he's going to say bullshit when the crowd is chanting Austin. And of course, you know what that means. Here comes Austin. He's wearing a t-shirt that says unleash hell. He's saluting the fans with the double middle fingers. They're going back and forth about who the biggest rebel is. And suddenly Carlito's music interrupts him. Uh, Piper is not anxious, uh, to, to meet with Carlito. You can tell he's, uh, he's revving high here and even says, you look like alfalfa cool little moment here. Obviously, you know, there's going to be stunners all around here. What'd you think of, uh, I mean, this is a great way to use Piper, a great way to use Steve Austin, but also a cool way to show a modern heel and sort of give him the rub a little bit from two all-time greats. Yeah. And, and the fact that Roddy got to be Roddy and I loved Roddy's line and said something along the lines of, Hey son, I was at WrestleMania before they had numbers. Um, it all made sense. And it was, it was a very nice homecoming for a hot rod after the hall of fame the night before and to share that stage with someone like Steve and as crazy as it sounds, even for Steve, I think it was a great rub to be with hot rod. So two of the greatest of all times, as far as heel and baby face go and it helped Carlito a ton too, but, uh, it was fun and it was one of those moments of holy shit that you didn't expect that, blew you out of the water. Well, next up a spectacle. You've often used that word here on the show an attraction a spectacle. Well, that's what this was, whatever you want to call it. I can't believe this is real, but Cole and Taz have to uh, stall for a few minutes while they set up the first ever WWE sumo match. It's a big show in Aki Bono. They're going to take the ropes down. They're going to put a mat cover with a sumo circle drawn on it. They're both wearing traditional sumo trunks. They've got a Rikishi level amount of skin showing here. And, uh, yeah, Aki Bono gets the win very, very quickly. What'd you, uh, what'd you make of this? Yep. That happened. I mean, I guess in theory, you're looking for something on paper that, Hey, let's have a big attraction and something special, but nobody really knows in this crowd anyway, probably much about sumo. And if they do, they think it's ridiculous that big show would have an opportunity against Aki Bono. And I don't know. It's a little weird, but it is a spectacle. Yeah. And I think that more over was the attraction of what is a sumo guy going to do with a seven foot giant. And of course, Aki Bono being a monster himself, but 
that was the intrigue of what's going to happen to take this and people not knowing a whole lot about sumos other than they're really big. How, how do they fare against a seven foot monster, a giant? So that, that was the attraction. It wasn't, you know, going off the Akibono name or anything like that. It just was a fun thing. And then the, the thought of big show being in the sumo gimmick and everything was, was also intriguing. You didn't like that part. His butt was out. Yeah. Michael Cole says big show deserves credit for even accepting Akibono's challenge in this style of a match. Of course they shake hands afterwards and uh, big shows music plays Wade would say <clears throat> it didn't even feel like a cool novelty. It was just lousy and didn't do anything for WWE WrestleMania or big show other than perhaps getting WWE some extra pub in Japan. Is this a Vince McMahon idea? Was he the one who was really pushing for this? What did that sound like? Yeah. Vince liked it. It was God damn. It's huge. Um, you, you get that moment and it wasn't meant to be a classic fucking 18 star Tokyo Corican hall dome fucking match. It was, it was an attraction. It was to let people up and give them something different from everything that they've seen all night long. They've seen matches all night. This is different. Next up the WWE world title match, JBL defending against John Cena. Uh, let's sort of set the stage. At no way out, John Cena defeated Kurt Angles, we said, to earn the spot in the SmackDown main event. Uh, during that same show, we would say JBL successfully defend the world title against Big Show in a barbed wire steel cage match. And as a result of Cena's win, he starts a feud with JBL and his cabinet. And on the February 24th SmackDown, Cena and Big Show would defeat JBL in Orlando, Jordan. The following week, JBL cuts a promo on Cena, insults him, and Cena defends his U.S. title against Jordan. Jordan wins the match after the Basham brothers distracted the referee and JBL hits Cena with the WWE title. Then they blow up Cena's customized U.S. title and replace it with the original one. Later that night, Cena brings a steel lead pipe to the ring with him and orders JBL to come out and fight him, only to have Teddy Long make his way to the ring and inform Cena he has to wait until WrestleMania. And then Cena says... If you're not a part of the solution, you're a part of the problem. And you know what that means. He's, uh, so Cena nails, uh, Teddy long with the FU and he's thrown out of the arena. And during JBL's match, he returns and attacks the cabinet. And the next week, Teddy announces that if Cena lays a hand on JBL apart from, uh, in a match, he's going to lose his WrestleMania match. And then they have a six man tag with John Cena and the tag champs, which is Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. And they're going to defeat JBL and the Bashams, but Cena has to stop himself from attacking JBL after the bell. And later on SmackDown, we would see long clarify that if JBL provokes John Cena, then Cena can retaliate. So Cena is attempting to provoke JBL vandalizing his limousine, spray painting FU on JBL shirt, et cetera, et cetera. On the go home edition of SmackDown before WrestleMania, JBL would interrupt Cena's match with Carlito and Cena would have him arrested for vandalism. And once Cena was handcuffed, JBL nailed him with a low blow and ended the show by leaving Cena laying. And so here we are. Orlando Jordan is in JBL's corner as he's going to try to defend his title against John Cena. They get 11 minutes and 18 seconds. Of course, John Cena gets the win. 
not the best match ever. It gets a star and a quarter. Uh, Meltzer, not Meltzer, Wade Keller would say not a terrible match for second on the card, but a huge disappointment that it was a very, very basic stuff throughout where the heel dominated the face until a largely mundane comeback by Cena that got the mediocre crowd response it deserved. Cena did not look like a star and the ending of JBL's long title reign should have felt like a bigger deal. Uh, I do think that's worth mentioning even in the promo that he was cutting with, um, Triple H earlier in the show, JBL said, I'm the only world champion in wrestling history to never lose, which is pretty funny because this is his first world title run and he hasn't lost it yet. And he says, go have fun out there losing for the 10th time or something like that to Triple H. So a nice little feather in the cap for JBL, a fun little twist on the words, but he is like the long, longest reigning company champion here for a long, long time. JBL is. And when it finally happens, it's not the last match on the show. It's not the best match on the show, but it does happen. Why didn't this one click more? I mean, obviously you get where you wanted to be. You wanted to make scene of the man you did, but it doesn't feel like it was as special as it could have been. Maybe. Well, I thought it did click and I thought that they did exactly what they set out to do. And that was to give John the ball to go to the next level. And that's what it was designed for. And was it, you know, to the wrestling purist who wants to see 9 million high spots and all that other shit? Was it that? Nope. Wasn't meant to be either. It was meant to be John anointing John Cena. So JBL, to be clear, anointing John Cena and making Cena the guy and putting him in the position to be the man. So to that, it accomplished it, and I thought it was a good match. Again, I like both guys, so uh, maybe I'm prejudiced, but to me, it told the story, and that's what's important. The story was told, and it was told in a good way. Next up, we get uh, highlight clips from the Hall of Fame ceremony, and then Gene Okerlund introduces the class. Uh, A pretty cool little moment to give everybody a chance to come out and wave one last time to the crowd, including another appearance from Hulk Hogan. And we see a shot of his family ringside. Of course, Nick's there and Brooks there and his wife, Linda at the time, a pretty cool moment to see them all out there. And then our main event, the world title match, triple H defending against Batista. This has been a long time coming. Of course, uh, evolution was, was such a big part of the story for so long. And you probably recall Randy Orton. Uh, won the world title. And then the next night after SummerSlam was, was kicked out of evolution, but Batista still hangs around Ric Flair and triple H, but he's had lots of suspicions and we start to see even the, uh, the crowd be in on it. When we overhear, uh, triple H and Ric Flair making plans against Batista and we zoom out and we see that Batista overheard it too. So now we all know. So when he finally has to announce after he wins the Royal rumble, which title he's going after. He's coming after triple H they are just bananas. So the stage has been set for a long time, but especially late January to now, this is some of the best storytelling in this era. Is it not? Yeah. I thought it was great. And on both sides from raw and SmackDown, everybody had a story and there was a culmination here at WrestleMania, but during the build for Batista and Triple H, there was such a groundswell of people. Come on, Dave. God, can't you see it, Dave? You, you gotta, you've gotta beat him. Um, 
They felt it. They saw it. They thought they led it. And that's the mark of a good story. When the audience is ahead of it a little bit and the audience feels that they are a part of it and they helped you along the way, just great. And this was, again, the anointing of Batista and making Dave Batista a player and putting him up in that elite pack. Really, really remarkable stuff. The storytelling is outstanding. The match isn't bad either. Uh, two and a quarter stars. It's not the best match, but it, it accomplishes what we need. Batista is now your world champ in 21 minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, Wade would write, um, you know, obviously he follows with a Batista bomb, makes the cover for the win. And then Batista lets out a barbaric yell. Fireworks shot off as Batista stated his newly won title. Above average match. Not great but passable as a WrestleMania main event. WrestleMania felt like a destination a little bit for the world title matches. Like we know that John Cena is going to be the guy. Um, and it's, it's an okay story to get there, but this is a real conclusion to a long story. And it feels like maybe the story's not over with these two, because this is just sort of step one. It made sense to me that, that, a triple H and Batista would close the show. Was anything else ever considered to close the show? I think Cena and JBL was considered as well, but at the same time, it was to me could have been a coin toss. So, you know, the, uh, Batista one, they closed the show and it was what it was, but I think it could have been either or in my book. Well, you, uh, you just sort of heard me rattle off the, uh, the results of this show. If you had to go back and and pick one, which match in this show stood out the most to you? Well, the best match by far was angle and Kurt sure. angle and angle and Kurt. When they, if you could only pull that off, what a fucking match that would be. He wrestled himself. Uh, Sean and Kurt. Sure. But by, by all means was, was the best, best match of the night and truly great. But again, just for personal, personal reasons and the build all the way through knowing where we are today was seen in JBL really remarkable stuff. You know, there's so much great storytelling involved with the build for Kurt Angle and Sean, the build for Batista and triple H the build for undertaker and Randy Orton for that matter, even the build with Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero, you know, they were tag champs and now they're taking on each other and it's the opening match. And what a great card you've got when that's your opening match. I think it's maybe the most underrated WrestleMania ever. And I hope you enjoyed hearing Bruce's take on it. We let you guys ask some questions several days ago on Twitter. If you'd like to ask questions about our next show, it's at Pritchard show on Twitter. Just throw us a follow there and somewhere pinned to the top of the next few days. You'll see, uh, our next topic at Pritchard show on Twitter. Uh, Bruce, let's do some of these rapid fire. Are you ready? I'm ready. Jeff wants to know, was Undertaker hesitant to be a part of the introduction video package? Doesn't seem like something he'd do considering he's very protective of his character. Of course, what Jeff is referencing is the, the Hollywood dirty. spoof of him as dirty Harry. No, he embraced it. It's cool as shit. Uh, Charlie thrower writes in a previous episode, you talked about Lemmy and Regal sharing a limo. Can he share any other stories of motorheads involvement with the company? I think that, uh, well, there was one and, and triple H likes to tell this story about when they were doing the entrance for 
Triple H's music and they were, they were coming up with that song and Lemmy didn't feel that the band was grasping the attitude of the song and he had to show them, he goes, this is the fucking attitude. And he, and he would show the entrances of triple H and the spitting the water and, and just show clips of triple H beating the fuck out of people. And, and he was like, Hey, you know, mate, that's, you know, that's the fucking attitude. And as Lemmy would tell the story he goes, and then the band got it right away, but not seeing what they were, you know, time to play the game and all that shit. They didn't, they were like just playing. He says, no, this is what we're playing for. This is what the fuck we're doing. And once they saw the footage, then they got it. I Lemmy was an intense dude, man. I never heard this, but we do have questions here from a fellow named Brad. Were Sting or Randy Savage ever discussed for being a, a part of WrestleMania 21 here? I'm sure Sting probably was at some point. I don't know about Randy, but I'm sure Sting was. James O'Malley writes, is it true that undertaker was ready for Randy Orton to take the streak? I hadn't heard that before. Randy would definitely be someone that we did talk about and say, okay, someone was going to do it. This is some young guy on his way up that would deserve it. And Randy was definitely considered for that. Lots of questions about who helped put together the, uh, the sort of Hollywood style vignettes. Do you remember who all was involved in that process and who deserves the credit for some of that magic? Oh God, that was like Chamber, Panucci, and just a bunch of the guys at the studio that came up with that. Were any of the guys hesitant or give you any pushback to doing it? Or was everybody really excited with the idea? Do you recall? From my recollection, I yeah. think everybody went into it, you know, like, okay, this is different, especially with the taxi driver stuff. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Um, but once they saw and they got the vision, there were people that were pissed off. They weren't involved in it. Lots of questions about edge winning the money in the bank. Of course, we know it's become a big staple. Do you think that had this, I mean, obviously had this match not been a huge success, it wouldn't have become what it is today, but how much credit do you think edge specifically deserves, uh, for this concept, the money in the bank becoming such a, a normal, regular part of the company? Well, I think that based on the, you can take it all the way back to, you know, the latter matches of, of lore with Sean and razor. And I'll even go back to the stuff that Brett did in Calgary. All those guys deserve credit. Um, but the Dudleys, the Hardys and edge and Christian, when you look at modern day ladder matches and TLC and all that shit, those were the guys that really got innovative and got the fuck out there that in my book deserve the credit. Lots of different questions that, that sort of always wind up on the same thing here. But one of the common themes is, was it ever considered to have Hogan and Hassan in a traditional match announced for WrestleMania? No, nobody would want to see that. <laughs> Why not? Uh, nobody didn't want to see that, man. It was all, it was all about, come on. It was all about the surprise and the, the moment you want, you want Hogan, the, the, the moment and the emotion. I think, uh, maybe guys just would have liked a Hogan promo, but it was Hogan weekend, man. He went in the hall of fame the day before. And then the next day, uh, becomes our real American hero again. Good stuff. 
Yeah, it was. And and people were happy. They just, they got, they got something they didn't expect to get. Uh, Keegan wants to know, was Mordecai originally supposed to be the undertaker's opponent at WrestleMania 21? Thinking time frame wise, I know that Mordecai was originally supposed to be one of Taker's opponents, but that just didn't happen, didn't pan out. But I don't know. I don't know timing wise if that was it. Well, I mean, if, if he was a proposed WrestleMania opponent, it would have been this show. Okay. Well, he might have been thought of until the bell rang. Uh, Andrew wants to know are there any other possible. And by the way, I love you, Kevin. Andrew wants to know, are there any other possible locations in LA to host WrestleMania or was Vince always committed to doing it at Staples center? Well, uh, you know, Hey, you could gone to Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum for the hundred thousand seats, but Staples center itself has a lot of prestige. And this was an opportunity to showcase it and the land of Hollywood. So why not? Neil wants to know why was edge the right guy to win money in the bank? Do you remember any other alternative plans that were, may have been suggested? Frankly, any one of those guys could have won it, including Shelton Benjamin, you know, uh, because it was new and it was something that you couldn't really call edge winning it. It was a nice boost for edge and it gave him, you know, even more credibility and, and a little bit of intrigue there with the briefcase. So any one of them could have won it. What do you think Jim Cornette would have thought of the uh, big show Akibono match? What the fuck? He got his ass hanging out, motherfucker. I don't know that Corny would have. I don't know. You know what? Actually, I take it back. That may be something Corny really would have embraced. John Owens wants to know, hypothetically, which film parody should Brother Love have starred in? Hmm. That's a fun one. Well, we could have, we could have done the Steve Martin leap of faith. Yeah. That's the only one I knew that you were going to go to. Well, that's because I love that. <laughs> that was a fucking great movie. But leap of but faith, yeah, I could have done that. Leap of faith. Didn't really have like any iconic scenes that fans would have probably recognized though. Right. Yes. But me being in, it would have been iconic in and of itself. Oh my gosh. Well, that's going to bring this week's episode to a close. <laughs> Uh, I really hope everybody, uh, enjoys WrestleMania this weekend. I know it's going to be a little different. A lot of us are disappointed that we're not in Tampa, but man, let's make the most of it. I really appreciate you guys allowing us into your home today and, and hope that you enjoy the show we put together for you. We, uh, we're a little late, but, uh, extenuating circumstances on a few different fronts that maybe we'll talk about another time. And Bruce, our most requested thing uh, to talk about. And, and I get peppered with it. I don't know about every eight minutes on social media somewhere. How long do we have to wait before we can tell the behind the scenes, real story of this year's WrestleMania? Is that a five-year waiting period? What, what are we looking at here? Let me see. I'll be, let's go for 70. Uh, so 13 years in 13 years here on something to wrestle. Mark your calendars, just 13 short years from today. Uh, we'll be able to go ahead and tell you the, the full story behind the scenes of what happened at maybe the most unique WrestleMania ever. And I implore everyone I, again, guys, Hey, check it out. I think you're going to love it. You're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. Um, but, <laughs> but escape escape 
and and just sit back and enjoy and be entertained for entertainment purposes and don't overanalyze shit and have some fucking fun. Uh, you know, just because you're cooped up at home doesn't mean you can't have some fun. So have some fun, enjoy it, and uh, there you go. Enjoy it, man. Have, have, have fun and watch it. It'll be different. It'll definitely be different. And tune in next week. We're going to have some fun stuff coming your way each and every week right here on Something to Wrestle With. Bruce Pritchard. Shaka Khan. You know, I was thinking, man, today, maybe a couple of street tacos y dos sopes con pastor with my friend Pancho Villa. What does that even mean? Exactly. I've been telling you for a long time that SaveWithConrad.com can save you money, but don't take my word for it. Jeremy, which one of the podcasts is your favorite one? Uh, my favorite one is probably uh, What Happened When with Tony. Uh, what made you go to Save With Conrad um, in the first place? What was your goal? Uh, save a little bit of money, condense some of my debt, instead of paying three different monthly payments on some things. Now I'm only doing one monthly payment, and it's actually less. Out of this whole process, do you remember how much money you were able to save? I'm probably paying about $200, $250 less a month. Being able to have that 250 in your pocket, or 200 in your pocket at the end of the month, is is a huge deal big help big help would you recommend us to anybody like a friend or a family member uh definitely so what are you waiting for find out how much money you can save right now for free you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket even credit scores in the 500s can be approved and if we can't save you money we won't waste your time but because we're licensed in more than 40 states we can help more families than ever before find out how much money you can save right now for free at SaveWithConrad.com. Oh, and did I mention you could skip your next two house payments? Hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.